Hello, John Howe. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Okay, for our first story, John Howe, we're going to be talking about the new heaviest rugby player on the planet. Do you happen to know who he is? When you say a player, just anybody? Well, he's a prop. But he's he's an international prop? I don't know. I mean, they have this island guy, Tamik Funa. Yeah, I I think he's in this article. Paul, French prop, Malik Hamadachi. I don't know Hamadachi. Okay. Um, Your guy, Ben Tiamefuna from La Rochelle. Um, These guys have all slimmed down, but our friend here, this new guy, he... um, He's 24 stone, 6 pounds, 343 pounds. I hope he's taller than 6 feet. 343 pounds of being able to run on a rugby pitch, up and down the rugby pitch, John Howe. Well, not for, not 80, just standing not for 80 minutes. Well, there you go. Perhaps it's not for 80 minutes. Actually, I saw Ben Tamiyafuna playing this morning for Begla, and he scored a try, and he looked every bit of 350 pounds, trust me. And he was, you know, he was active. I mean, when he ran, he scored a try and actually was moving. Like a train. It's unbelievable that people can be that big. This is the problem with the game today. 20 years ago, you wouldn't find a 350-pound man because, first of all, you had to play the full 80 minutes. Number one. And secondly, they didn't make players 350 pounds at that time. But with all of the diet and weightlifting and training that they do today, a guy who's naturally a big fellow at 250 pounds can easily bulk up to... 300, not a problem. So in the, the World Cup, didn't good old Razzie and his company decide that they were only going to have forwards as their reserves? Wasn't there some situation where they didn't have an extra fly half or extra anything? They just had, how many reserves can you have? Ten? Seven? No, I think six. Six or seven. All Something of them like that, yeah. all of them were all of them were forwards. And they took all of the group off and brought a whole nother group on. Yeah, but he, it sounds I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. But if this is the case and you're having people this big and we assume that a guy like this can't run for eighty minutes, I can't even imagine him being running for forty minutes. I mean the NFL guys are huge, but their play is Three seconds, five seconds, and then they stand there and they sit on the bench and they do it again. And those guys, these guys are not becoming as big as those guys. Yeah, but uh, you know when I saw Tammy Afuna, he uh, wasn't doing a whole lot of standing around. In rugby, you can stand around. You can drag your ass to the nearest touch line when the players over on the other line just sit and wait 
for the scrum or a lineup to occur. Unbelievable. It's a collision sport. It's actually uh, it's a controversial plan because if the players are getting bigger and bigger, then the implementation of the bomb squad or your substitutes becomes really vital. I prefer it the old way. You got to go the 80 minutes, and if you get a guy who's hurt or it's ridiculous. Uh, so the tight end Asenati Nalabakanye sounds like a Fijian. Listed at 153 kg by the Lions, and also South African JJ Vandermisht, who plays in the second row, and he's 154 kilograms. It's incredible. It's just incredible. Why you would do that? God bless us all. Okay, John. Mm-hmm. Our next story. Because people have nothing better to do, they're thinking about England and how England would look at the 2027 World Cup. Um, of course, the interesting thing is you would want to think about who's going to be in the number 10 position. Yes. And, of course, they've put... Marcus Smith. I think Marcus Smith will probably be the man. So, Especially now, because Owen Farrell is going to France. Owen Farrell's going to France? He's leaving Saracens? Yeah. So that's another thing that we have to talk about at some mm-hmm. point, which is the rules. And whether if... What's his name? Farrell can play for England, even though he's playing in France. No. Again, so we'll come to that. One of our pro, one of our components here is about what England has to do in order to not be so terrible. But anyway, so I'm going to tell you these names, and you tell me if you know about them okay. and uh, who they are. And I'm going to tell you their 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 age at the start of the World Cup in 2027. All right, I'll go for it. Loosehead, Bevan Rod. He's good. He's injured now. He's going to be 27. Tighthead, Will Stewart. He played last World Cup. It's going to be 31. In the middle, Theo Dan. The Romanian fellow. 26. Number four, Itoje, the captain. He's going to be 32. And I'm going to say the oldest guy, which isn't bad at 32. No, it's good. Uh, The other second row is going to be Louis Chesham. Only 24. Louis or Ollie Chesham? It says Louis. That must be his brother then. Okay. The back row. Ben Earl. Mm-hmm. I, I think he played pretty well at number eight, even though he's probably one of the smaller number eights I've ever seen. But he seemed to have a lot of panache and running around. Uh, then we've got uh, the white C-O-N-T, Tom Curry. Mm-hmm. Or Tom Pearson. And the other... Uh, uh, wing forward is George Martin. He has been playing second row, so I guess they're going to move him to the back row. So George Martin, 26, Tom Curry, 29, Tom Pearson, 27, and um, our um, good man Ben Errol's 29. Alex Smith at 30 
fly a uh, scrum half. I don't know much about him, but he, he surely can fit in because they haven't really established a prime scrum half at this point. So then we come to number 10, Marcus Smith, 28 years old. Yeah. I don't know what your thoughts are about him. I mean, I, I do know a little bit, but yeah. So on one wing, we have Ollie Hassel Collins, 28. Mm-hmm. At the other wing, we have Henry Arundel, who was uh, who was uh, he's playing forgotten. France, so he'll have to um, move back to England to play if that's still the law. The two centers are Dan Kelly and Ollie Lawrence, 26 and 27, respectively. I don't really get into Ollie Lawrence, but he's pretty good, and I don't know anything about Dan Kelly. And fullback, Freddie Stewart, 26. Yeah, I think that he's... Whoever this guy was who came up with this has a uh, group of uh, replacements. Jamie Blamire. Is he a forward? I think he's a prop or something. 29. Ellis Gange, we know. Yeah. He's going to be 32. Joe Hayes. Here's your boy, Ollie Chesham. So his brother, Louis, is in the thing. I guess is... Chandler Cunningham South. Don't know him. Alfie Barberi. Jack no, Willis, we know. Good. Who? Barberi is good. Barberi, Barberi, Barberi. Okay. Rafi Quirk. Very good scrum half. And Finn Smith. I think Finn Smith is really a legitimate candidate for being the, the number one fly half. Not because I don't like Marcus Smith, but it's because... You have to have a link with your centers. And I think once you play Marcus Smith with non-eloquent um, midfield like Ali Lawrence and Joe Marchant, then I think that there's a, there's room for a fly half who really can, is compatible with those kind of players, as is Owen Farrell. Owen Farrell is not really a running fly-off. He's just a steady Eddie, along with George Ford. Well, our friend, um, the guy with the crooked nose, what's his name? The coach? Steve. Oh, Steve Borthwick. Hopefully he'll be gone. Well, he seems to be... He's part of the old boy society. He seems to be... He seems to be... Entrenched. Is that you? Anyway, so that's what we have. <clears throat> there they are. Got nothing better to do. Imagine what England's going to look like at 2017. 2027. <laughs> Not 2017. Okay. As if following that particular story, mm-hmm. we should look at this next story, which I find quite intriguing, and we're going to hit the snooze button and have more than three minutes on it because it, I think it's important. And it has to do with England following a certain protocol in order to achieve any success. What, what, what must they do? Um, what must they do? 
Are you asking me? Yeah. I think they need to be more innovative in their selections. I mean, I think they're really pretty stagnant in selecting Ellis Genge all the time and uh, Kyle Sinkler all the time. Jamie George is unbelievably, in my mind, much better than I ever thought he would be. Um, the back row is problematic. I mean, picking the right one, there's a lot of good players. And the centers. Okay, so Clive, Sir Clive Woodward, has a 10-point plan. And it's got a lot to do with what's on the field, but a lot to do with what's off the field. Okay. So, number one, ditch the ludicrous foreign policy. I agree with Clive, but I like Clive. Yeah, but I, I, I think the foreign policy is crap. But all of the teams... Uh, it, Go for it. But it's ridiculous. Just because you're playing, you're going to get go to a place that's going to pay you the most and because you're a fucking professional now. You're going to go to a place that they're going to give you the most amount of money. Let's say that's in Japan or France or whatever. Does that all of, all of a sudden mean that you can't play for your country? I think the interesting aspect of what you've just said is really the basis for it is that there's no legitimate bonding which you would find in playing a style hmm. in your league or being around your players day in and day out. You you sort of bond with the style and bond with the players. Yep. And if you're playing abroad, it kind of makes Good. you the exception. I love that because that makes me have some perspective. However, it's a business now. It's not it's not what it used to be. Sure, you you know when he went on a New Zealand tour with Lions and the whole thing was just so fantastic now. But at least I realize now why you would think that's the case. And I'm going to tell you this, which has got nothing to do with rugby. Mm -hmm. England is woeful in football. Yet the uh, premiership is fantastic. It's the best amount of soccer players on the field at the same time, football players on the field at the same time. But England never wins. Because all those guys, on, they won once in 66, God bless them. That's because if you look on the field, there's maybe, in a team, maybe three Englishmen. And the rest are all foreigners. Four Englishmen. Maximum five Englishmen. The rest are all foreign players. So they're all coming to England and playing in the Premier League and getting as much money as they want. Then they go back to their own countries and they seem to do much better than England. All right. Number two. Realize rugby talent alone is not enough. Interesting. We're gonna put the we're gonna put the snooze on that. What does that mean? What does that mean? What do you think it means? I think it means that uh, how you what's more to your personality than just playing rugby? Are you a decent guy? Um, are you an ass? Um, Rule number six for the New Zealand. Yeah, don't no be a dickhead. And no dickheads allowed. Uh, I, I think that they're breaking away from, certainly in the last decade, they've broken away from the protocol of uh, public school boys being the basis of your personality at the England football team, rugby football team. Again, I think what I like about this particular article is he's looking not just at what's on the field. This is what he says. This is what... Talent alone is not enough is. 
You need the whole rugby business pointing in the same direction. That means everyone involved from the boardroom to the players, to the coaches, to the grassroots games, they've all got to be pointing the same way. It's not happening now. And in fact, I've never seen the English game so fragmented, Clive says. I think there's a lot of truth to what he says, but I like him again, you know. it's. Uh... But I like him too, but if I didn't like him, I would say, yeah. It, since it's become a business now, everything has to... It's, it's like a corporation. You have a CEO now. You've got to, you know, you have a CFO now. You've got to um, look at it differently than you used to when it was an amateur game. Let me let me propose something to you. Okay. The two biggest controversial players and representatives of England rugby are Marcus Smith and the coach Steve Borthwick. Is Marcus Smith as good as they say he is? Is Steve Borthwick um, as well-rounded as they say he is? It's uh, nobody else. They don't talk about it. They don't talk about uh, the wingers or the a little bit. Sometimes they'll talk about uh, Itoji, but they'll talk about a guy like they won't talk about a guy like Jamie George, your friend. And he's probably got well over 100 caps for England. And he's very low-key. They don't say much about him. They don't even call him a pie face. Or fat C-O-N-T. Yeah. Number three, John Howe. Excite supporters. Be bold and lead the way. Now we go onto the field and they're talking about how Marcus Smith, Freeman, Will Joseph, or some players that are basically doing that. Exciting the people. Okay, a classic example of his opinion being on the same boat north as mine is, today I watched Begla against Bayonne, mm -hmm. and my opinion about French rugby is it's really much riskier than England rugby. England rugby is very, you know, they don't take very many chances. Right. In French rugby, they're throwing the ball around, they're sure. making breaks, offloading, and of course they will make mistakes, but it's more exciting for the spectators. Totally. Remember the thing uh, where they started in their own 25, in their own goal line against England? What, back in Many the, years ago? Oh, yeah, that the was French the combat And yeah. then they, that was the beauty of exactly. rugby. Exactly, I mean, that's, that's risk. Rugby, but it's yeah. exciting. It is. You're absolutely right. We're watching this thing, running into each other, 28 phases. Who the hell wants to watch that? Anyway, number four, John Howe. Reform the board with rugby experience. I don't understand that one. So the board, the, English, the, the RFU, whoever's on the board, has to have had rugby experience, not just be whoever it is they are. Well, Why isn't Martin Johnson on the RFU? Why aren't there guys like Will Greenwood, Matt Dawson involved in the game? Apart from Bill Sweeney, the chief executive, those on the board, they operate in the shadows. You don't know who they are. There's one guy, I believe, that, they, that he names that you would know by looking, you would know about. Um, what was the name of that guy? Um... I, I can't see it right now. But anyway. That's a pretty interesting point there because, you know, I hate to ever 
talk about how the United States operates. But it's the same with them. At one time, I mean, you know, this losing entity was stock full of guys who do nothing about rugby, but they had money. And it just didn't help the program. So I'm, I'm a firm believer that you should, you don't have to have money. No. But you need to have some expertise. Sure. That's what I think they're saying. Podcaster, I mean, he's got a profession. Martin Johnson is a little bit lonely. The guy that he's they were talking about was Bill Sweeney. I don't know Bill Sweeney. He's the chief executive. He's the only one that you would know. And then the rest of them are all these people in the shadows. Or as Will Carl, uh, uh, what's the name of the guy who, uh, Captain England? When? long time ago, and he was in the monkey suit. Um, oh, I don't know. Let me see. Uh, Will Carling? Will Carling was Will, the captain, yeah. Yeah, him. Will Carling said they're all old farts. I think there's a lot of truth to that. But England has been really uh, a very good prototype for rugby in the last 50 years. It's not like they're a losing entity. I mean, they produce pretty good rugby players. I think now, at this day and stage, even though they had a quote-unquote successful Rugby World Cup, they had an easy path to finish third. And we will know in the next two months just how good England is. And I'm willing to bet my ass right here, both ends of it, that England cannot and will not win the Six Nations. I don't care how good their draw is, because they don't have the style of rugby. They don't have the coaching expertise. In fact, they lost that guy who was probably their high-profile guy, the guy who dragged around uh, his rugby league scrum half in all these marathons. He's leaving the program, Kevin Sinfield, uh, after the Six Nations. And I think when you lose players or you lose coaches, your, your camaraderie, your board, it tells you something about how it's run. Number five, along with number four, people on the committee need to be identified. No more nameless committees. I love that. I we need, we need to know who it is, and therefore, if they're not doing well, and they're picking people, and the, a team is losing... Someone else needs to also be held accountable, other than the players and the coach. I love that. So that's number five. Number six, bring back promotion and relegation. You're here, the, you know, in English football, the three bottom um, teams go to the lower division. And vice versa, you have some good players in the... This, I think, means that if anyone's playing a level below and they're doing really well, they should have the opportunity to come up. You know what's really interesting about that to me is they never select a guy who's playing for the Ealing Trail Finders or uh, Plymouth, uh, whatever their name is, the right. guys who are in the second uh, division right. of the England Domestic League. Hmm. You have to basically be a member of the top club to play. And, I mean, three of the clubs have bailed out. Wasps, uh, Worcester, London Irish. I mean, they should be replaced with Plymouth or Ealing. Okay, so then number seven, front up. 
to head injury crisis. You know, it's impossible to, to, these guys know what they're getting into, all of that. All of that being said, if, you, if the coach, a referee sees someone, just like in American football, they have a protocol they go through, but Clive thinks that's important. I don't understand that. I don't understand anything about the head injury protocol because it's such an important issue. But we were playing without any protocol 25 years ago. And I've managed to be, you know, I'm alive. I'm insane, but I'm alive. Um, that guy Sweeney, his salary has increased to 684,000 pounds a year. And, and then the person here says, with that kind of wage, you need to be delivering on all fronts. You need to front up and address the big issue, like head injuries, have ongoing discussion with Premiership on professional game partnership to earn his, his crust, uh, and it would reflect well on him and the RFU if they acted uh, with help to former players in distress, much like the NFL has the big thing for a big chunk of money for all these old guys. All right, number eight, look after current players and referees. That, I think, uh, is obviously directly involved with uh, Owen Farrell and also what was it? Wayne Barnes. Wayne Barnes. Um, because, you know, now they're doing this. It, it was yes, sir, no, sir, that's it. Now they're going up against a referee saying things, and then people are calling up the referee and threatening their wife. It's ridiculous. I mean, you're really good at this. Um, what do you think about, for example, Owen Farrell's mental state? I mean, I don't really give a shit about Wayne Barnes's mental state, although it's been highly publicized because he's had death threats. Um, I'm less concerned about a guy who throws off Dylan Hartley, the captain of England, in a final of a premiership match because he back-chatted to him or called him some ridiculous name that he probably deserves. I mean, what do you think about this mental illness uh, crisis that's uh, amongst players? Well, again, it's now not a game it's now a business because you're being paid you need to you become someone else's property you know the minute you get paid you've lost your 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 own self you're now a thing for someone else to control because they pay you and if they say you got to do this then you've got to do this and you're open to criticism if you don't do what it is that they want you to do Sadly, I think you, you've lost that, 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 that innocence. So they thought he didn't play well, so they booed him. More than booed him. I never heard anyone booing anybody in rugby before, ever. But now... Number nine, John Hyde. We've, we've, we've spent a lot of time on this. Two more things. Number nine, growth of women's game. He feels that that's important, and the English women are fantastic. And then, I like this one, Twickenham is not a pub. Number 10. 
Trickadum is a pub. Yeah. In Valas, there was the Trickadum pub run and owned by French second row Elise Astaire because I was there in that pub. It says he's sick of people at Twickenham uh, spending most of the 80 minutes drinking heavily and getting up during the game to either make their way to the bar or the toilet. It's, it's, only, a, it's only a matter of time before we have a serious incident at Twickenham. The RFU board should come and sit in the stands. That's the beauty of it. That's what I you have to do. The guys, you know, he's, I'm on board with Sir Clive Woodward. There you go. Okay. After, point, let me ask you this. Do you know where Clive, Sir Clive Woodward went to college? No. Very famous athletic college in England. Loughborough? Yes. Nice. Um, the last one, because we spent quite a bit of time on that, is your boy again, um, sadly. Manu. Manu Tuolagi? Yeah. Why? What's he done? He's hurt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's hurt, and he's going to be missing the beginning of the uh, Six Nations. I mean, if you're, I, I can tell you what my point is. I love Manu Tuolagi, but he's really a liability because he's injured all the time. I don't think he should ever be considered for selection on the England team based on that. When he was, he wasn't the same guy, was he? No, I mean, he didn't have a great. He had a okay. stable World Cup, but he wasn't really the same player we've seen in the past. And he's not that old. He's 31, 32 years old. He's not particularly yeah. out of, um, you know, the age requirement of being a good player. His pool is growing and doesn't need an operation, but we think. He's not going to be back for the first week of the Six Nations. I don't think he should be back at all. He suffered a grade three linear muscle tear of an adductor in the groin. I mean, you know, this is something that I really have got to mention. We are here in the United States, and the players think of themselves as being really much better than they are. But... When you want to relate to a, the size and the skill of a player, you must look at Banu Tuolagi, who is a center who could easily be a prop mm -hmm. and think how agile and skillful a guy like that is and compare yourself to that. And you'd just be, um, you'd suddenly realize, hmm, maybe I'm not so good after all. Interesting that you say that because, you know, I'm looking at the game today and I look at the centers and I don't see the greatness that used to be in the centers like Danny Gerber and all of those guys. I'm trying to think of who I'm thinking, Michael Gibson, all those guys who in the center were a force. I mean, a guy that comes to my mind and I didn't really recognize him at the time, the Welsh center, Scott Gibbs. Hmm. You know, he was highly yep. thought of, but he was more of a raging bull type. Exactly. Ray Gravel was the first center when I was a schoolboy. I saw him, and I'm like, wow, that's a big unit. And that's what he was there for. 
being a big unit. And now he is probably in comparison to these people just normal. But back then, compared to the to the center, Steve Fennick, um, to try to think of all of the, you know, Scott Hastings, Scott Hastings, eh. yeah, he he played for the Lions, yeah. So you know, it's it's not the same. That's when the magic happened. The magic of rugby happened between the scrum half, fly half. And the centers. That's exactly. And then he went to the wing, and that was the beauty of it. And, and and now it's not that anymore. This is the whole problem with England. They don't have any centers. They don't have any magical centers. It's uh, you've got to have a player who's got some magic <laughs> in. I mean, you've got some magical players like Henry Arundel, for example, who, um, who yeah, uh, Reese Zamet. Uh, I forgot his, you know, hyphenated name. Um, he's got some panache. Yeah. Um, I, the best center combination is really Scotland, where they have um, the guy Tui Pelotu and Hugh Jones. But they also have some backup guys uh, in uh, Harris and, uh, you know, I can't... There's a, there's another one, but they've got some you know they've got some substance there. The guys are pretty good. They're a lot better in in my mind as a metaphor for what not to be as a an England player or right. midfield combination. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tout Scotland this this year's Six Nations, and um, you can call me back on this in a month from now. Right. You think that Scotland's going to do well? I don't think they're going to win. No, but, but they're going to do better than being fifth. I think they're going to be better than England. Oof. That's saying something. All right, John Howell. Well, thank you. And as you said, happy Happy New Year to you. And uh, Can I take some time out to wish Jeff Shoemaker a Happy New Year? <laughs> of course you should. Okay. Uh, I look forward to seeing you again very, very soon. We'll discuss more ridiculous things about state of rugby today. Okay, sounds great. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you.